Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Peggy. <laughs> it's good to see you. This is episode one of season three. I know, which is really only for us, it's a year, right? We started doing this, oh, I think, yeah. a year ago yeah. at the church. And I think maybe it was the fall, but I think it was in the winter that we started season one. But here we are, season three, oh, yeah. episode one. And this time we're talking about the divine. We're going to spend a whole season just looking at, at God or the sacred, the holy, and what that means and all the different aspects and characteristics that we assign to this great mystery. So today we're talking about divine love. Which is convenient since <laughs> it's Valentine's Day in a couple of days and you all will be hearing this presumably just a, a day or two or maybe three after. Um, and yeah, so we're going to talk about divine love. Um, we're not going to be talking about sex. We're talking about love in that sort of big sense of that word. What is the big sense of that word? Um, and I always, um, you know, this year, obviously Valentine's Day is on a Sunday. Um, and inevitably, I feel like whether it's a Sunday or not, I end up preaching about it. And usually I'll sort of go over those different Greek understandings of love, right? Because the Greeks had these different ways of conceiving of different types of love, right? We Americans have one word for this, right? Um, I will tell you a quick story. I had a, a Swiss friend in grad school and he would just, he'd say to me, I don't understand how you can say, I love pizza and I love you, my child, and I love you, my partner. And it all is like the same word. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. It's all about <laughs> intonation, um, intonation and eye contact, right? Um, but it was a really interesting point, right? And so, so when we say love so often for us, we imagine like one thing, right? Or, or we automatically usually go to romantic love, right? But there's this whole long tradition in religions of love that is not about sex or romance, but is about wholeness and divinity and, and the sacred. Um, yeah, so that's what we're talking about. Well, and it feels so important to do that. I mean, it's Valentine's Day, so there's that, but it feels important to do that right now in the world because we are, we're physically separate from each other, right? We don't have that kind of tactical, just you see people and touch their arms and smile at them, hug them, tell them they look great today. That, that sort of like familial love that mm -hmm. is so much a part of our normal everyday interaction. Mm -hmm. And at the same time we're going through, like, so we're all separate, we're all, deprived of kind of basic affection and then we're in a world that's that's grieving and that's that's angry that's sad that's 
complicated in a hundred different ways and we're doing it separate from each other. So the idea, the accessibility of divine love feels so important right now. It feels like wow, if, if ever we culturally as a society have needed access to divine love, this is our moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, right? So we're, so all those sort of normal um, things of like friendship love or like acquaintance kind of love, like le love of fellow human in the world, right? We don't get to express them at all. And so what is, what is taking its place, if anything, right? How do we access the thing that could? Um, I was saying before to you that I frequently will stand up in front of my congregation and be like, you are loved, right? Like that is part of the message is like you as a person, you are whole, even if you're broken and you are loved, right? And and sometimes I, I say it and I mean it, I 100% mean it, right? But sometimes I'm like, what does that really mean, <laughs> right? And I think to myself, I wonder if they know what it really means. Um, and that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. So, so if we want to like, you know, we like to sometimes delve a little bit into some history stuff, right? So if we want to think about, um, you know, the, those sort of different Greek understandings of love, right? Like Cupid and Eros, like I'm going to fire a tiny arrow at you and you're going to fall in romantic love. Or there's, um, and I might pronounce these wrong because my Greek is non-existent, but there's the one that's um, philautia, the like love of yourself, right? Like how you, how you embrace yourself. Um, and then there's like philia, the sort of friendship love. And then there's this one, which is the one that I talk about at church a lot, which is the agape, right? The like, um, the sort of like the love of all things, the suffusing love of everything, right? Which is what I, how I sort of frame that divine love. I don't know if these are terms that you ever like force your people to listen to you talk about um, the way that I do, but, but that's the one I think that we're really that's the one that even when you can't have the philia, even when you can't hug your neighbor, right? That is still out there. That like agape divine love thing is still out there. So how do you know that? Yeah, great, <laughs> great question. So yeah, this is, okay. So this is interesting, right? Because then, okay. So you have the Greeks and they have all their different concepts of like gods and love, whatever. And then you move into like Christianity, right? And you and I both, as we were saying before, could get lost in the medieval period, but we're going to go there for a hot second because they think it matters, right? You get in- I'm just the ones willing to pull us out because we're- <laughs> <laughs> Amy, Amy, will, Amy will save us if we manage to go out. But, but I think it's important, right? Because there's this whole, people think of the medieval period, right? As like this sort of everybody's an idiot and like knowledge is lost and whatever. But there was a real- like deep understanding of divine love in the medieval period that, that we then lost for a while, right? So, so we were talking about how um, like monastic people expressed love of God in, in really um, like poetry and prayer that's full of the kind of desire that our modern minds reserve only for humans, right? But, but in these, it's really, it's about God or it's about the human wholeness, right? That God creates and loves and, and sort of supports in the world. Um, so like in that time, right? It, they knew it existed, knew, right? Because they experienced it in relation to their vision of a sort of anthropomorphized, like acting God in the world, right? And Jesus, right? Jesus was like the center of like a lot of love. Um, and then that changes. My, my very favorite medieval mystic, is um, Heidevich, okay. Heidevich of Antwerp, something yeah. 
and her poetry. So the first time I read her poetry, I didn't really get it. So somebody read it to me. And when I heard it spoken, yeah. I just melted. And she's in this almost visceral yeah. relationship with God, this like loving, actively loving and seeking God's love, who she often refers to in the, with feminine, which shifts between feminine and masculine pronouns, which I suspect is, was her own, um, the, her own orientation. But there was such a, a personal relationship, right? She was so loving God and then was, was experiencing the loss where she would, she would experience God as being completely around and absolutely fulfilling. And then she'd experience this separation from God and, and would talk about it in the same way you would talk about the loss of a lover who was with you and then, and then not. It was so real and she wasn't alone in that. So many of those medieval mystics had those very powerful love relationships. But you're right, we then shifted away from it. Well, th that was in some way a, a norm or an ideal for yeah. culturally through Europe. We moved away from it. Well, and it was it was a norm and an ideal, but so too, like not not just that kind of like mimicking of um, like passionate uh, romantic love, but with God also parental love, right? I was I was um, talking about how there were nuns who would like have a baby doll Jesus that they would care for, right? And it was an expression of maternal love, a way to be in a love relationship with Jesus as a baby, right? Um, so there were lots of different ways, including sort of peer to peer as an expression of like, like a sort of a manifestation of divine love in your living context or in your, in your sort of world. And so, yeah, it's this interesting thing where I feel like we read them now and we're like, that sounds like a romantic relationship. Right. And I sort of wonder if it's like, sometimes I wonder to myself if, if we're, we're sort of claiming the egg for the chicken or the chicken for the egg, like in other words, is the way that we feel about each other a reflection of the sort of holy love that we all know on some fundamental level? Or do we talk about the holy love that we all sort of know on some level, the way we talk about it, because the thing that we know how to describe is the love we have for each other. Does that make sense? Like it's it sort of, I think they would have understood it less as like, I love God. So I'm going to talk about God the way I talk about my husband and more like, this is the primary thing and everything else comes from that, right? Like my relationship to God is primary and everything else sort of falls from, you know what I'm saying? I do. Reverse, you know? Well, and I think for, for different people, it's different. I mean, I think that like, I, I, I would say that I have a pretty, um, in some places, profound relationship and experience of love, of divine love, and, and still that deepened when I became a mother. And I, I understood the the power of that differently. I mean, in some way, so I think that, that our own experience defines the ways that we can understand. And I think for different people, it's like, so, so sometimes love of God is in your head and it's something you simply know. Like when, when we say to our congregants, like you are loved in some way, that's an intellectual statement. Um, 
And sometimes it's it's an emotional statement, right? Sometimes I am in front of my congregants. I think Amy's probably seen me, this happen to me, where I'm overwhelmed with love for them. It's not as it isn't just something that I Right, such an intellectual exercise. Right, this is like, I can't, I was once in front of, actually not this church, another one, it was homecoming, and I was saying hello to people, and I walked to the front of the room, and I turned my back, because the tears were coming down, and the congregant came up to me to see if I was okay, because we had to start, <laughs> she was like, yeah. you all right, and I'm like, I forgot how wonderful it is to see everybody. There's something um, that can be incredibly authentic, and that experience of love. So I think that sometimes it's that we we have the experience of love and then we we project it onto an image of God. And sometimes we we have an experience of love of God, sort of this love in the world, this falling, falling in love with everything. And then when we see people, we then project it onto them. You know what I mean? Like it goes I both. Do, yeah. And it and, and what it's making me think about, to be honest, um, is like we're centering a whole season around the divine, but like there's like a million ways to conceive of the divine. Like for every single person. There's so when I even even when I say like love of God, like I don't believe in like an integral entity unto itself that is God. Like that's not, I don't. There's no anthropomorphic thing for me. There's not like one confined being that is God that acts and moves, right? In a way, maybe partially we're starting here because like, for me at least, the divine is love, right? Like that's, so divine love, it's sort of like, it is its own, um, like it is itself. I don't know how to like say that. I don't, I can't conceive of God or the holy or the divine in any other way than simply as like a creative force of love, right? So, um, so it's interesting. Your your point about how for everyone it's sort of a different thing that extends much more broadly to this question of what the divine even is and how you experience love of the holy or love from the holy or holy love is uh, probably largely dependent on how you conceive of God. So I talk about there was sort of this time I was nineteen years old and I had been talking about God, thinking about God, because that's sort of age appropriate, right? But, but then I really fell in love with God. And the experience of that was feeling like the air was on fire, like there was an electric current. And I experienced enormous love for everything I could see. So it was, it was immediately connected to earth and to the allness, the everythingness. It wasn't any particular person or it wasn't even specific to um, like a creation. It was, it was everything. It was all the people, it was all the experiences. It was everything that there, that there was. And the experience of that was the same as falling in love. Yeah like a perfect description of the you know the agape the like love of everything and everyone um I what you describe right is like a mystical experience um and I so I want to come back for a second though what you said about what changed when you became a mother right so I remember and I was probably I think I was like 16 um and I remember having nothing like what you're describing for me it's a it's a sort of a more subtle kind of a thing where every now and then 
Um, and it used to come in this form and, and now it comes in other forms. But every now and then I would like walk outside and be struck with an intense clarity about like a visual clarity, right? Like for whatever reason in that given moment for that short space of time, like the, the distinction between the tree and the sky behind it was in such insanely sharp relief, right? Like all of a sudden it was like the, it was as if like all the little pieces made much more sense than they ever had, right? Like sort of, and then there's no, there's no other word but sharpness and clarity, right? Like those are the, but what came along with it was the like bone deep calm of unity, if that makes sense, right? Like just sort of like a, oh, everything is everything. <laughs> and like, I can just like relax into that truth, right? Um, and for me that that has an element of, of like loving, right? Like you can't have that sense of like everything is everything and have it feel, for me at least, have it feel negative, right? It feels like a positive kind of loving thing. And, and I will say it doesn't happen in that way so much anymore that sort of like visual acute clarity. Now it's, I turn and I look at one of my children and I'm like, oh, existence. <laughs> like, right, I'm like, I'll just be like, oh, being, <laughs> you know, and it's just like this moment. And it's not just my kids, right? It happens with the congregation where all of a sudden they're, everybody's singing and you're like, I'm just gonna cry now because you're all singing and I can see you and you're one and you're, and it's, so it's this funny kind of, um, they are sort of like mystical experiences, I guess, but I think, um, and, and you train yourself to them, right? Like the medievals knew that too, right? Like you train yourself to find those feelings, right? And part of that is that you, when you felt it once, it's like, it's like spraining an ankle, it's easier every time. When you felt it once, you sort of, um, you can, you can kind of get your mind there if you try. Um, and this is, again, like this is something that in, in monastic people knew better than anyone, right? That if you use your senses, your body, your mind, the smells, right? Like the touch, the taste, all of it. If you engage all of it, and if you engage your imagination into it, then you can, and ritual, I mean, that's another real truth, right? Um, if you can ritualize that feeling, then you can get there um, more easily. I think, so I, I think that there's, there's a there's a way that we prepare ourselves, set ourselves up for it. I mean, so many of the so many people have mystical experiences, sort of initial experiences, you know, sometimes randomly. But when we think about people who who live in that divine love, who live in that space, that takes discipline. There's tremendous intentionality around that. So even when I had that experience, in some way, I had for a few years been working up to that, even though that's not, that wasn't my goal. And I didn't, yeah, I had never really even heard of anyone having an experience like that. But there was, I was praying. I was being very intentional about a relationship with God and something I wanted, I valued, I put real energy into, and then found myself in this moment of love. Yeah. I think it's possible. It's we can train ourselves to love each other better, and we can train ourselves to love God better and to experience that love in all things. It, there's a way in which our brains and it, you know, I, I see people do this where we, um, there's like just a negativity, right? You say something to them and they just have like, the reason that's not going to work, right? That's, that's the response. But there's also, there are also people who, who just start with why that's so beautiful. 
why that's so wonderful and that that's their initial response. There's a way for us to create for ourselves the experience and then to find ourselves in moments like you're talking about where you just look at the world and know that it is one, that there is a unifying force here and that, that we are part of it. So I think what's really interesting um, for me, uh, so much of, of that experience of holy love, right, because, because of how I view God and the divine, um, so much of that is sort of predicated on living in the world, right? This is why I could never have been a good monastic, right? Like my experience of holy love is, is sort of, it's dependent in some ways on my relationship to my parents and my children and my friends and my colleagues and the random stranger on the street who I can choose to either be like a total jerk to or be nice to, right? Like, so, so for those of us for whom like the, the holy and the divine is largely dependent on human interaction, right? It can be trickier right now, obviously, to try to access that feeling, right? But I think it's possible. Um, and I, and I think let's like, like, let's talk about some like concrete ways that you can sort of like try to find, right? So one thing, um, the other day, one of my children was just doing this. And I was like, you know, there's a whole bunch of sayings about this. If you, you know, you got, God gave you two ears and only one mouth, right? So you can listen more than you talk. And there's the one, my, I had a, a Judaism professor who was like, no one knows you're stupid until you start talking. And I was like, that's a good one too. But my point here, my point here is listening right? Like we are so, we are so determined to, and I'm doing it right now, right? To talk and make our point that we don't listen. And like the workings of the holy through human interaction and also the earth and its own rhythms requires attention, right? So listening, observing, right? Like if I had just been rushing out of my apartment that day and not looking at the sky, I wouldn't have even known that I was having that experience, right? So part of it, I think is about slowing down, um, and being intentional about trying to see the world and hear what's out there and let yourself feel what's available to you, right? Like one way. Well, and that, going back to that, that also requires practice. Yeah. And we have to hone those skills to be able to, to be present, to, to listen, to see. It requires um, of, we have to value that. We have yeah. to want to do it. We have, I mean, the same way that anything else. And in fact, I think that people assume that they're going to experience love, and I mean love of all things, naturally, and that they're going to love well, naturally, and that everything else may require some practice, but that's natural. And I, I, I don't think that that's true. I think that we actually learn to love well. I, I think we, we are taught first by the people who raise us and by our siblings and our extended uh, family and community systems. But, but then we really, I think like by the time we're teenagers have to get really um, skilled on our own. Like, how is it that you do this? And, and that for me includes knowing that God is love, mm-hmm. feeling it, sometimes, but just living out of it. I mean, I don't feel it all the time. I, I feel it sometimes. I get overwhelmed by it sometimes. Look, I don't feel it all the time for my family either. Right? Love love is not always a feeling. I mean, sometimes love is a feeling, but love is often a decision. 
Right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I joke with my husband, right? every once in a while, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes love is just a decision <laughs> because it's, you know, love is not a feeling. That, that is what's true. So there is this experience of like, sometimes I feel great love for the world. And sometimes I just have to remind myself that I love the world and I love God and I love, I want to increase that experience in the world and therefore I'm going to, you know, simple things, I'm going to recycle my bottle or whatever it is, but that we just have to remember. I think what's interesting is that even in non-pandemic times, there's a lot working against that decision. And this is where I think, you know, look, in the medieval period, right, like people understood love in all these different ways. And like love of God was like a thing and love of your fellow human was like a thing they believed, even though they were fighting and killing each other in wars and whatever, right? You move into like the the sort of puritanical periods and sort of enlightenment periods. And all of a sudden we're looking at like love as one particular thing. And it's really, I feel like we grow up I'm going to say this. I grew up with this notion of like, love means this, right? You can love your family and you can love the imagined partner that you're one day going to maybe have. And those are the kinds of love that matter. And those are what you're searching for. And those are the decisions you're making, right? And like, maybe frankly, you don't even love your family, but the person you're choosing, you're making that decision, you're going to love them forever. No one was talking about like love of the earth and the, and God and everything and everyone. And if anything, right? Like, teenage magazines, the media, the news cycle was like, hate everybody, hate all your neighbors, they're all dumb, right? Like there's a lot of negative messaging around like, hate yourself, right? Cause you're not perfect. Hate who's ever over there cause they're better than you, right? Like there's a lot of divisive, if we ever had it, we have lost a sort of culturally present sense of what it means to love broadly. Right. Um, And for me, I think that's the thing that one day, whenever it was, I sort of decided not going to keep living, as you say, in that sort of negative place. Right. And that I'm going to make the decision to love the world and to love everyone. And it doesn't always work. And sometimes I yell at people for my car because I'm mad at their driving. But like, maybe I yell with love. But it's the point is you sort of you have to. That's what we need to recapture. Right. We need to recapture some sense of shared humanity that is not just like, we share humanity, so I'm going to tolerate your existence, right? We share humanity, so I'm going to love you through your flaws, in your flaws, through my flaws, in my flaws. And somehow we're going to find a way to like live in love together, you know? When I, fell in love, when I fell in love with my husband, I remember saying often that love is not blind. Love sees everything. It's not it isn't that I, I don't see all of the flaws in a person or in the world. It's that, that I do see them. The love is that I see them and include them, that I love all of it. Yeah. And that for me is the manifestation of divine love. That's what it looks like in the world is this wild, radical, beautiful acceptance of all of it in its brokenness yeah. and in its beauty and all of it, all of it together. I um I did a reading at my cousin's wedding years ago now. It's probably getting close to 10 years, if not more. Um, and you know, everybody uses that love is patient, love is kind, like it's really sort of like stereotypical wedding. And I wrote a piece for his wedding that was basically like love is not always patient and it's not always kind. And it was sort of like it was sort of my answer to the way that we have sort of manipulated, right? Like because 
if you want to talk about love being patient and kind, that love is that sort of big, holy, Brahmanic cloud kind of like love that suffuses existence. That might be patient and kind, but like my human capacity is not always patient and kind, right? But that other thing is what we strive toward, right? We strive toward living in this place where we can have patience with each other because we can love in a way that's sort of, um, but it, but it is, it's ridiculous to think it's going to happen all the time, right? It's absurd. Um, and yet it's the thing that we sort of, um, maybe one day, maybe <laughs> we strive to get there. So this was our, our, uh, episode one, and I get the feeling that we're going to have a lot to talk about this season. <laughs> There are so many threads in our conversation that make me feel like, oh, I, I want to talk more about that. Yeah. So I'm yeah. looking forward to the season. I am too. I think it's going to be really interesting to sort of pull out all of these different ways that people have conceived of the divine. And, and I'm hopeful that as we go, you and I are also going to keep sort of refining our and sharing our vision, sort of how to explain what we see um, as God, as the divine, as holy. Um, and yeah, I guess just, I guess just like, you know, spend the week loving on each other, guys, however you can, <laughs> you know, however you can get a distance, right? Like, I don't know, write a letter, pick up a phone or text, text. <laughs> don't call. Don't call. I hate phone calls. <laughs> but it's okay, you know, whatever it looks like, right? And, and I would say, you know, like, listen, like try to get quieter for a week and see what happens, you know? Yeah. I don't really look, see what's out there. Yeah, try to hone this discipline. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's good to talk to you. You too. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Love you. Love you too. <laughs>